Happy Sabbath, friends. Throughout this quarter, we've been learning about what it means to rest in the Lord. And today's lesson is about the cost of rest, that rest actually has a burden and a cost. And so we look forward to having this discussion together and with you in your homes. But I'm joined by my, my cohort, my uh, colleague, Stu Hardy. Stu, um, we're going to do this again. We're doing this again. <laughs> Miguel will be back and you'll be able to do a, take a rest. I'll be able to rest. <laughs> from all of this. Yeah. Yeah. So I was thinking about the cost of rest and there was all these stories in the lesson about, about what it takes to achieve rest. Mm -hmm. um, but I was also thinking about the cost of not resting. Um, have you ever pulled an all nighter before? Has, has that experience <laughs> been a part of your journey? Um, actually I have, but I, I think before we get into this, you mind if we have a word of prayer? Oh and, yes, yes, yes. And, uh, cause, uh, I need, I, I need this prayer. I know we both want to do that. So yeah, yeah. most gracious heavenly father want to thank you for the opportunity to study, be with our conversation, be with those listening or viewing and thank you for your Holy Spirit's presence. Cause we acknowledge our need of it and we thank you for being here in your name. Amen. amen. So you asked me whether, um, yeah, as a matter of fact, I've done quite a few. In fact, I've done enough, which I don't recommend. I've done enough that I kind of have this whole cycle. Because like one thing, for example, with all-nighters, coffee doesn't help me at all. Mm -hmm. Maybe the act of drinking something, but I can drink some coffee and go to bed and go to sleep. You know, it, it, that doesn't help. But I remember particularly in college, it do an all-nighter, and it seemed like I'd be okay up until midnight. And it was like between midnight and three, that was like, how am I going to get through this? Mm -hmm. And then when the, you start getting done, you wake up, and then I'm fine, and then it would be like two in the afternoon, I'd be just crashed. I, I can't do anything. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I, I haven't pulled an all-nighter since, since college, but yeah. I did pull a few of those during finals weeks or if there was a paper due. I don't know how productive I was at like three o'clock, four o'clock in the morning, but I plowed through. I, I did find out later on that I actually did better if I l at least got a couple nights, a couple hours of yeah. sleep at, at yeah. night, yeah. you know, take that break like you were talking about. But yeah, it does have a toll, right? Yeah, very much so. And, and as much as I'd crash and maybe I had the luxury of being able to go to sleep, but I was crashing in the afternoon or whatever, it still seemed like it took a couple of days to kind of get back. Yeah. yeah, especially now that we're older. I think when I was younger, there was mm -hmm. a, a shorter recovery time. Right, definitely. <laughs> I can't imagine doing that now. Yeah. Yeah, we had some long nights with the COVID thing. And, and what I kind of do sometimes when I know I have a longer, I will actually got to go to sleep like at 10 and sleep for a couple of hours. Yeah. And, you know, kind of in trying to make it, but don't recommend it. It's not <laughs> the best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think. Actually, I said the last time I did all-nighter was in um, in college, but that's not actually correct. When my my children were babies, when they were uh -huh. newborns, we did a few all-nighters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, and maybe you got five minutes of sleep every night. <laughs> yeah. It's like you lay down to sleep, and then the baby wakes up again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there is a cost mm -hmm. to not resting. There is also a cost to returning to rest. And that's what David finds out in, in the passage that we're going to be looking at today in 2 Samuel chapter 11, 12, and then also Psalm 51, is this idea that um, to return into a rest of, in the Lord, there is a loss and a cost. So this story is fascinating, the story of Bathsheba, of, of David, of Uriah, and um, just Nathan, the prophet, and everything that circles around it. Uh, wow. When you, when you were reading through this passage, especially the first part of 2 Samuel 11, what do you think got David into trouble? How do you think he got to the place where he would do this, this heinous act, this man that was after God's own heart, that he would think that it was okay for him not only to, to sleep with Bathsheba, uh, but also then to cover up the sin by murdering Uriah? Well, I think first and foremost, I think it's really important for us to understand the context mm -hmm. in this sense, because we can't even imagine 
this in any sense being okay. And what I'm going to say next doesn't mean that it ever was okay. Yeah. And God never says it was okay. But it it was an environment. We see this later with the kings in England and stuff. Royalty, the rules didn't apply. Yeah. You know, was that right? No. But nevertheless, that was a reality. So it's a little hard for us to understand how this is even possible without more significant consequences. Yeah. But... I would say to your question, I think fundamentally the Bible tells many stories about people that were close to God and yet they failed. The Bible doesn't spend a lot of time praising any human being, whether it was Moses, Elijah, David, um, affirms them, but a lot of it's an illustration that, you know, really their goodness comes from God. And so to answer your question, I, I would argue that David had just kind of come from victories yeah. and was kind of let, leave, left the army to let them clean up. And I get the feeling, you know, he's feeling pretty good about himself yeah. and kind of just chilling at the pa palace, you know, and was kind of losing that awareness that I'm dependent on God mm. every moment yeah so it's almost like the victory and the 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 sense of success actually put him in a position where he was more likely to fall into the, this temptation yeah one of my favorite expressions is don't let success be your greatest failure mm. and i i think that's it's wow. so easy when we are doing well even doing good things yeah. um you know you you think again of elijah you know we're saying wow when you think about what he did, he went in front of all these people and certainly had a, a king and people that were more than happy to kill him. He goes right in there. And then you remember, he's doing all this, put ourselves in those shoes where we're sitting and praying in front of a whole crowd for fire to come down. It's like, uh, yeah, this is going to work, right? Uh, yeah, this is going <laughs> to work. Hope, I hope. And then after that, he prays for rain. Yeah. But again, you know, after all this great thing, then he finds himself way down, discouraged and wanting to die. And we wonder why that is. I think these are very important stories to tell us. And David is a class example that he was certainly blessed by God, but he forgot that the blessing was from God. He was mm -hmm. trusting more and more in himself. Yeah, that's a, such a good point. I love that quote. Don't let success be your greatest failure because it's so true that when we're facing challenges and difficulties, that's when we think we need to cling to God the, the most. But it's actually when we're facing success and, and um, adoration from people, that's when we need to cling to God the most because those are the moments when we're most susceptible for Satan's attacks and to lead us into temptation. Yeah, because you think a lot of David's career, <clears throat> he was hiding in caves and probably hungry. And, you know, that's, you know, the anointed of God probably didn't imagine like, like hey, this is this is how I'm going to live my life, you know. Yeah. And so obviously in those contexts, he, he felt a need of, of mm -hmm. God. And, and God certainly wants us to experience blessing, but it's often in that blessing. And we see it over and over and over. Israel was blessed. And then that's when they they fail. And and there's no question, Satan, that's that's a pretty key kind of strategy of his is that, you know, if he can get us to kind of separate ourselves a little bit, God, and kind of start trusting in ourselves and forgetting that connection with God, mm -hmm. then that's when he's able to do something. Yeah. And it just goes to show that having that past relationship with God doesn't mean, doesn't guarantee that that future faith right mm -hmm. and we see that i mean we've had in recent years all these high profile christian leaders mm -hmm. people who god used to do really mighty works um I, and i don't discount what god has done through through these leaders like for example bill hybels mm -hmm. and yet those those successes it, it seems like those successes that they they receive from god led to an environment where they were also very open to temptation and and fell into it and it just destroyed destroyed their lives destroyed their work and in all of us 
all of us are susceptible to. That. Well, and again, I think that's a classic example where the Bible really doesn't champion human beings. They, you know, when you think about it, and this is always something that comes to mind when people are, are critical of the Bible and its authenticity. If you were putting together a PR piece mm -hmm. for God, yeah. there wouldn't be much Bible left. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, they certainly wouldn't say this about David, but it, but God had a, a, a bigger picture in terms of here, here, I blessed, and you see what happens when when David trusts me. And I and I think it's really important that there is these natural cause and effect, because mm -hmm. even the idea that we realize we can't just assume because of my past, I'll be fine in the future. Mm -hmm. And we can tend to sort of start moving into that fear. Am I going to make it? Am I going to be okay? That's really not where I think God is trying to take us. It's you got to get it in your head. You can't trust yourself. Mm. You got to trust me, period. Wow. I'm your author and finisher of your faith, so trust in me. Yeah. And if you're fearing that it's not going to work out, then go closer to God because he's not seeking to exclude you from heaven. Mm. He's seeking to restore. He has demonstrated yeah. all the efforts done to do that. And if we can somehow let that just absorb into us, mm -hmm. then, you know, when we see these stories, it's it's not about... Oh my goodness, I sinned, so therefore God, oh good, you sinned, you're out, you know. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're okay now, you're back in, you know. Yeah. That's not how it works. God is doing everything, but he's just telling us, listen, there's nothing you're going to do that's good. Yeah. Enough for whatever. So don't waste your energy worrying about being good enough. Mm -hmm. I've invested in you because I've I've basically invested and said to you, I value you wherever you're at. And I'm the author and you finish your faith. And when we start talking more about David's repentance, even that repentance is a gift from God. Yeah, that's so good. That past performance doesn't guarantee future faith. So what we need to do, the most important piece is just dependence, re relying on God. And like you pointed out, even when we fail in that, when we do take that moment of pride, there is deliverance, there is repentance and renewal and redemption available to all of us. And that's that's what this story also shows is not just a king that does this mighty fall, but also a, a, an opportunity for the king to be redeemed again. And so let's let's take a look at that, that that aspect of it. So he, you know, he does this terrible thing and then and then, you know, it's about to come out like it always does. It, yeah. I mean, it, we, we think that we can do these things in the, in the secret and it'll never come out. But man, somehow, sometime it always starts creeping out. And he does what a lot of us do um, when it starts peeking its, its head out. Um, he tries to cover it up, right? And in many ways, the cover up is worse than the an initial sin itself, right? Because he murders Uriah in order to cover up his own sin, which is just terrible. I mean, why, why do you think we have such a hard time admitting, just admitting that we have sin, especially since we know that redemption doesn't come until we have that repentance moment. So why do we hide it? Well, you know, I think there's a lot of reasons, but I, when you think about it, most of our tension in relationships is related to some kind of concept of what people might think of us mm -hmm. or a little bit about what we think about ourselves. Like, yeah. you know, one of the times sometimes we get the most frustrated when someone calls us out on something mm -hmm. we know they're right. That's <laughs> yeah, when you want to, so your, your emotional reaction is to <laughs> reject that. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, maybe the way they do it doesn't help either, but yeah. It's that's generally with a mix. Maybe they don't do it right, but ultimately the core issue is valid, yeah. and you know it's valid, and so you really want to push push against it. And I think that's the first place is because that, that's one of the things I I've really come it comes mean more and more to me is the closer we get to God, the more honest we can be with our about ourselves and with ourselves. And the less we feel a need to prove mm -hmm. ourselves. And, you know, whenever that's threatened, when you feel like, oh, 
uh, you made me feel less, um, then we, we, we feel a need even to ourselves. It doesn't even have to come from the outside. I think we sometimes put pressure on ourselves to do something just so we can like ourselves. Mm. And I, I just think that's one of the most evil dynamics of sin is it just always is making us think less of ourselves mm -hmm. and unworthy because you think of people that even don't believe in any kind of higher, higher power yeah. they deal with guilt they deal with yeah. shame and they don't need a god to, to to do it and then unfortunately we have a lot of history and religious contexts where uh we make it worse we misrepresent god and 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 just add to it but I think David's, he wanted to take care of it on his own. Yeah. Yeah, I, I got this. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you bring up a good point that just because the sin stays hidden doesn't mean that it doesn't have a detrimental effect on us. Because even though nobody else knows about it, we know about it. Of course, God knows about it, but we know about it. And it leads to this imposter syndrome like, man, if they really knew what was going inside of me, they wouldn't think that I'm as good a person as they think. Like we, we feel like we are an imposter and that that leads to shame um, and that which is extremely d destructive as well. So that it does have that that effect on us. Right. I, I think most of us could relate to the idea and we're probably in varying degrees, but there's kind of this sense if people really knew what I was really mm -hmm. like, they wouldn't like me. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't want to be around me. Yeah. Which is the great thing about God. The more you realize God is a real being. Yeah. He knows more about you than you do. Yeah. And he's invested and continues to invest. Yeah. And so that he provides this pathway for redemption um, for us, even, even when we don't feel like we deserve it. Um, sometimes when we don't feel like we need it, God provides this, this path forward for, for David and, and for us. So in this story, um, David tries to hide it. Um, he's sort of successful, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure his, um, his general was a little bit <laughs> concerned about his military strategy and why, what he had against Uriah, like why send for him. And so I'm sure there was, there were rumors circulating there. It wasn't completely hidden because it was kind of ridiculous what he had done. Right. Yeah. You know, it's like, Hey, why are we pulling back? And Leaving the guy out there, okay, and and there's some indication, you know, Joab Joab had been involved in another murder, that kind of thing, and so there was, you know, he was just following orders. He wasn't following God; he was following his king, which that posed a whole nother issue. But um, it's just hard for us to imagine this all taking place. But when you understand the context, where I think we forget in the Old Testament, a lot of it is describing an environment that was just barbaric. Mm -hmm. um, even, you know, when you go to Israel and they're talking more and more about this, about where the actual city of David was, mm -hmm. it's pretty small. Mm -hmm. It's even Jerusalem itself, you know, the old one thing is, is not that big. Yeah. Um, but it's still pretty good size considering ancient time. But the city of David was... Like later when we the, the city can hear David crying and, and remorse and all that kind of stuff, you can see why they could hear him because it was pretty small. It, it's like think of a small apartment complex there, and he's out on the balcony at two in the morning shouting. It's like you know everyone could hear him, but but part of that all that little wall and things is that basically if it was Egypt or Hittite or Ammonite or whatever it is, they just kind of come in and pillage, yeah. much like what we see in some of the. Europe and all that, so the Norwegian, you know, the Vikings and everything, yeah. just a lot of pillaging. So it's just a whole different environment we can't even imagine in yeah. terms of justice. Now, they didn't make any of that right. Yeah. It's just, it helps us understand how someone even could think of doing this and think of getting away with it and yeah. not having the consequences that we would expect would be right. Yeah. Because the voices all around him, the other kings that he was encountering, they had carte blanche, right? They could do whatever they wanted and not face repercussions. So he probably thought, you know, well, I'm a king. Why not me? You know, and and God had given him so many successes in the past as well. Um, you just talked about the success he had right before for before this. And so, yeah, there definitely that all probably had an impact on him. 
But I wonder if we're all that different. I mean, none of us are kings. None of us have that kind of carte blanche. But if we get away with things... We sometimes uh, like to think we are, maybe. I don't know. (laughs) Kings of our own domain. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, And that's what gets us into trouble, Mm -hmm. right? Is when we think we're all that, like you were talking about, and we don't don't depend on, on God. So he he has this fall and then he tries to cover it up and then finally somebody gets through to him. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I just find it fa- fascinating that the technique that Nathan used, the prophet Nathan used to get through King, to King David. Um, why do you think he told the story? Like, why not just come out and say, David, I know what you did. Mm-hmm. I know what you did last summer. You know, I, I know what you did. I know what you caused. I know the, I, I, you know, God knows, we all know the terrible thing that, you, why not just come out and say, why tell this story and lead him through it? And then at the end say, you are the man. I mean, what what what, what do you think was behind all of well, that? Well, I think there's two things, kind of going back to one of your earlier questions that connect with this is that why David covered up is David had established a reputation, Mm. a reputation as being blessed by God. Mm. And I think a lot of us can relate to this. He didn't want to lose that. That was a high cost. So you could see, I'm going to fix this. No one will know. And we think in our present day people hiding and not addressing their sins Mm. or because they know, you know, whatever. You can see that same scenario. But I think the way what Nathan did is really important for us to pay attention. Our focus should always be about redemption. Mm. And I think uh, later, uh, remember Jesus uh, was when when um, Mary or whoever washed his feet. Wasn't that when he told the Good Samaritan story? I'm I'm trying to maybe mixing it up where. Basically, he was, he knew that um, the Pharisees' house, he was, yeah, Simon, he knew Simon was judging this woman. Yeah. And Jesus basically told a story and Simon understood that Jesus was reprimanding him. Yeah. But he didn't embarrass him in front of the people. So he was able to effectively get the message across. Well, I think the same thing with Nathan because first of all, you know, Nathan, there may, certainly we can uh, agree that Nathan may have had a little bit of fear and trepidation given yeah. this context we've been talking about. Someone just walks in with bad news could get executed, yeah. you know? So, so to think about someone had yeah. full power with no consequences, yeah. say, I don't like your news. You just, <laughs> you, are you calling me a liar? You know, it's yeah. like, fine, off with his head kind of yeah. thing. So I imagine there may have been some influence from that. Yeah. But I think it's also important to understand that there is a, a value in, in focusing on redemption and doing whatever you can. Because you think of how many of our churches have been destroyed or members leaving and stuff because someone pointing at someone else that you did something wrong. And even if they actually did something wrong, the way it was approached was not an a, approach of redemption. Mm. It was just pure um, judgment. Yeah. And and especially for me to point at you for something you're doing, that, that implies somehow that I, I'm more righteous or I'm more correct. And, and maybe in a specific event, I may be in the right. I, I don't want to dilute that. But in the end, we're the same no matter what sin you do. We're all sinners. So there is a... a it's only God that ultimately can kind of make those kind of judgments. And I, I think Nathan did something really good where he drew David in mm-hmm. and that was provided an opportunity for redemption. Now, David could have, like Saul, rejected. Yeah. But instead, it was kind of that... <laughs> David and Goliath stone right between the eyes and whoa, just kind of hit me right there. Yeah. And you're right. Yeah. Wow. That's a, that's a great point. Like that Nathan's goal was not to embarrass the king. It was not to prove that the king was a terrible person. And his goal was redemption. It was to do whatever he could to bring the king back. And sometimes 
we've gotten into trouble because when we convict people of Mm -hmm. their sin, we do it in a way that actually feels more like an attack. Mm -hmm. I mean, any, any kind of criticism feels like an attack, Mm -hmm. but when you know that the person that is sharing that with you cares about you and they do it in a way that at least preserves some of your dignity, right? Um, it allows you to take that step, step back. Um, you know, quoting from Sun Tzu, who is not a Christian, (laughs) but you know, he always talks about the importance of building your enemies, a golden bridge on which to retreat, right? Because if you, anybody who's cornered is going to just fight to the death to not, not give up. If you give them a way out where they can preserve their dignity, it allows them to also to, to admit that they're wrong and for healing to begin. And ultimately that's the goal that God has and the goal that Nathan has in how he approaches David. Well, and you think about, you know, a lot of things, um, you know, whether it's uh, addictions or, or people that are just angry all the time. And so then they're hard to work with or something. It doesn't change the fact that they're hard to work with, but I find it often helpful if we just take a little bit of more time and say, I wonder why this person is mm-hmm. so angry. And you may never find that answer. There may be a context, but at least you step into a space. There must be something in this person's life experience that kind of leads them into this space. Now, I don't want to be misunderstood. I, I don't think we should be going around and excusing people. Yeah. Because the consequences still same are, are still the same, and they shouldn't be that way. But I think in our ability to relate to them, and you see this. I mean, you look at Jesus at the cross. Mm-hmm. He is being unjustly executed. Yeah. And what is he saying? Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Yeah. Um, John, make, sh- make sure you take care of my mom. Mm. You know, that is a supernatural Thing I, I think God wants to give us that same gift that when we're being wrong, it doesn't mean we don't we just kind of lay down and and let people walk over us mm-hmm. per se, or or try and excuse the sin. But I think it gives us a whole different perspective when someone wrongs us, particularly. Yeah. At least if we ask the question, I wonder what leads them that they feel they need to do that, and so there's some compassion because we're both sinners, and I. I may not have that issue or, you know, whatever. Um, I found that to be helpful because, mm. you know, all of us have gone through circumstances where um, someone has wronged us and and there's things where I, I wish I'd have done differently, where I felt like when I look back, it was kind of wronging someone else. Yeah. And and I, I think with Nathan going in there, and, and there's there's probably no question Nathan was probably trying to protect his own skin as well. Yeah. And I, I think that's one of the most common things uh, as Christians, we kind of forget God does often work through natural things and he does want us to maintain individuality yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I think, I think even the fact that David wasn't executed by God mm-hmm. in that instance is indicative. He was, God was working through the cultural reality yeah. there to get things across, mm-hmm. get messages across. He did not condone what David did mm-hmm. um, in any sense of the word. And, and certainly Nathan was sent to try and save David. Yeah, that's such a great point that that just because God offers forgiveness, just because he's trying to work towards redemption, doesn't mean that he's condoning any of this. Um, even, just like you, you pointed out, Jesus, when he was being crucified on the cross, him asking God to forgive them was not him saying that it's okay that they did this, right? It was him focusing on what you talked about, redemption and reconciliation. And for us as well, as we approach these scenarios, a lot of times um, when when it becomes an argument or a, a breakdown in a relationship, it becomes about me versus them rather than how can we reach reconciliation? And part of that is this feeling that, man, if if I reconcile with them, that means that I'm saying that it's okay what they did. No, it's not. That's not what scripture is saying. It's not okay what they did. But if reconciliation really is your goal, then you have to work towards understanding like you were talking about. And that's what Nathan does here. Right. And and you, you know, you've had rela- interactions with different people. And you think of someone that Maybe they grew up in a home where they never measured up and, and all that kind of stuff. So 
what is that what is that going to lead them to do that they're always going to feel the a need to protect or defend mm -hmm. and you think of how often conflicts are related and the more we try and peel back and all, we can't always know for sure but at least in the back of our mind when we say hey listen i'm a sinner you're a sinner so Let's stop trying to create a caste system here, even if I'm right. Yeah. So let's start there. And then why is this so important? And, and when we start traveling in those spaces, we're more likely to find some kind of yeah. resolution because um, sometimes being right can be the greatest wrong, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so true. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. Um, what Randy likes to tell us that um, humans commit the most... Um, atrocious, I, I'm totally butchering his quote, but um, atrocious attacks on each other when when we are right, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's so true that that's that's the state that we're in. And, and that's what Nathan avoids here. He works to try to gain understanding. And David's heart is pliable enough mm -hmm. that this technique works, which you pointed out, not everybody is in that yeah. space, right? Saul, Saul rejected it when he was confronted, right? So David's heart is pliable enough that he that he actually takes this avenue and takes it takes this avenue. You remind I'm sorry I was left. Uh, you reminded me a line I just heard last night in in the great philosophical uh, television series of Downton Abbey. Uh, the Maggie Smith character yeah. was talking about how um, this person was most righteous when she was in the wrong. Yeah, <laughs> it was a great line. It's so true. It's so true. But I, I think you're bringing out something that's really important to contrast between David and um, Saul, which, you know, um, Saul hardened his heart. Mm. He kept pushing back yeah. and, and didn't accept it. And with David, his response was, repentance and even the situation where he's informed that his child yeah. is going to die. And if, if you remember, he did everything possible. Mm. He prayed, he, he, he was aware that when Israel or any had repented mm. and it, so then once, then once his child died, he accepted, accepted it. Yeah. And but it was all in a, a spirit of repentance. And I would argue that repentance uh, was a gift from God. Mm. And certainly in this story, it's it's challenging for us to understand. Like, so the just thing is he had someone murdered. So what, why wasn't the consequence of that? And I think we can see in David's life, he paid through the rest of his life for that sin. There's a lot of dynamics in his family that that were in that. But on the flip side of it, I can at least see from a bigger picture from God, that story, think of how many people have been saved. Now, this gets into the dice space. I don't, I don't want to give any sure coding. This is awful justice. There was certainly a context where he could get away with this, where in this, our world, hopefully that's not, yeah. not okay or whatever. And it certainly was never okay with God, but it was included in the Bible. Mm -hmm. If someone could do something so atrocious mm -hmm. and repent, and we can see God's response. Because God is trying to tell us that sin in any form is that evil. Mm. It is that destructive. Yes. God, in fact, cannot be in the presence of evil. When we describe him coming back, um, it, it's, it's, it's really the righteous presence is what just destroys evil and whatever's attached to it. Mm -hmm. it. It just, it's so bad. And when we think of all the destruction yeah. and all the bad things that we, we read about and even in present day, when are we going to realize sin is just a disease that is so horrific? Yeah. God, please change our hearts that we want. We want to have that same abhorrence of evil. But what a powerful thing that God would not have chosen David to go through this, all that. Mm -hmm. But in such a horrible thing, God was still able to use it that over the centuries, people could read the story and say, there's hope for me. 
and think of all that we can't even imagine all the good of might have happened because people changed after reading that story. Yeah. Wow. You bring up so much good, good stuff right there. We need to break it up for, for a second. This, this idea that, um, that sin is so destructive that even, even after it's forgiven and Nathan does pronounce that God has forgiven you, right? But it still has consequences. It doesn't take away his, his son dying. It doesn't take away the destruction. Um, we were chatting before this about the after effects and the impact that it must have had on his family and his sons. So that whole thing with his sons, uh, one son raping his daughter and then being murdered by the other son. And, you know, that, that son, Absalom, then rebelling against his father. All of that is related to this sin in that that David was this the shame, the experience that he went, the 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 um the the example that he set to his sons all had an impact and it had a consequence later on. So even though at times we have this tendency to almost glorify sin, right? Especially when we hear those dramatic testimonies uh -huh. where, you know, I was on the streets and I was drinking and, you know, I was engaging all this, I, I, I robbed things and people are like, wow, and God turned your life around. The focus should be on the God turning our life around, but at times it can almost glorify the sin and say, wow, you know, and, and God brought you back. So maybe it wasn't that bad that you did all those things if it helps you realize that you needed God. But it really is destructive. Those mm. things, if can be avoided, we should avoid it. Just like nobody sh would willingly like say, okay, uh, give me cancer so that I have a good story to tell yeah. when I'm healed, right? <laughs> right. Like That's a good analogy. Yeah. Yeah, wh why? <laughs> why would you want to go through cancer and then have to go through chemo and surgery? And there's still loss, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we, we, thought, we talk about... Um, prostate cancer and prostate cancer has probably the best survival rates of all. all, all um, I don't know. I'm not an expert in this, but right. it has pretty high survival I understand survival what you're rates, saying. Yes. Right. But the surgery that they do for prostate cancer, it has consequences, right? Your life is not the same afterwards. Um, the hormone therapy that you have to take for prostate cancer, it affects you. So yes, you could survive it. Yes, it's great. And it's a redemption story when you do survive it. But man, to not have it would be much better. Right. And that's right. sin. Yes, absolutely. Wow. And I, I, I just find, you know, this thing where, like I said, you know, God, God, God did not want David to do this. Mm. And in fact, we can all go all the way back. God didn't want Israel to have a king in the first place yeah. in all, the, all this stuff. And, you know, we have reason to believe, especially reading Patriarch's Prophets, it really helps kind of open this up a little bit, is that, you know, David um, was maybe not as forceful in disciplining or things because he'd really lost a lot of his credibility. Yes. And you think about it, when you've made this glaring mistake, uh, your, your influence and how he saw himself, God had forgiven him, mm. but it had ongoing consequences yeah. and we just if we could just get the idea that sin is just this disease and i love what you said it's like do we want to say hey give me cancer so i can have a story to tell that's a i think a great way to frame it it's like, of course not yeah. you know it's more like okay god i have cancer and thank goodness yeah. at least something good can come out of this because that was not good yeah <laughs> And that's exactly what Paul is saying in Romans chapter seven, where he says, so does that mean that I should sin that grace should abound? And he says, of, of course, course not. not. Yes. Right? <laughs> Never let that be. You know, it's, it's the most emphatic no that he can say. Right. Right. And, and yet that's, that's, that's a lot of times the way that we approach it. And yet, even in this, I mean, there is destruction, there's destruction to his family, destruction to him, his loss and, and, and the suffering that so many people go through, like you pointed out, God still brings good out of it. It's not what God would have planned for him, but since he made that choice, he's still able to redeem it. And, and I, I think that's so beautiful, this idea of redemption. Yeah, and I, you know, we were talking about just before we started recording and I wasn't sure what to say something, but I think I will mention you know, about, you know, what about Uriah and, and, and the little one? We can't understand, 
guy, but I, I will say, and this may not be satisfactory to a, a, a lot of people, but um, maybe it'd be helpful to some. You know, when I, Uriah is clearly described as, as, as a noble, respectable person. Yeah. He was wronged. Um, there's reason to believe that the next thing he knows, he's in heaven. Mm. Um, a child being born under these circumstances, you think about the siblings and what that person, it's possible this child dying <laughs> saved the child. Yeah. We can't know that and I don't want to dive into that, but it at least gives me a little bit of a, a framework yeah. um, of how there may be a different picture of how God looks in this. And I think one of the things you brought up just for, again, before we, when we were talking about this, ultimately some of the justice in this world, we're not going to see it until Christ comes back, mm -hmm. but there will be justice. Yeah. Yeah. And the more we can reach a place where regardless of our circumstances and, and as we can see with David, though he had to suffer the consequences that were directly related to that sin, even though he was forgiven, that God, the ultimate justice, but God is all about redemption regardless of what we've done. Yeah. Yeah, those you bring up a good point about Uriah and the unnamed son of Bathsheba and and um, King David, that where is the re resolution for them in this story? You know, David, David does this terrible thing and God works to redeem him. But where is the redemption for Uriah and the, and the boy? And, and Bathsheba, I think you Bathsheba. made a great point. It's like there's some reason to believe that, you know, she, we can't just assume she was okay with this whole yeah. thing. We yeah. can't assume that. Yeah. Yeah. As a woman in that society, she would have been pretty powerless if a king told her property Come here and, and sleep with me. I mean, what is she going to do? What is she going to say? She has no rights yeah. beyond that. So um, it very may well have been rape um, that, that occurred. So just where is her redemption? Where is their redemption? And you bring up a good point that um, something, sometimes the redemption doesn't come until, until Jesus returns and there is that resolution, that final resolution. But what we do know about God, and at times we have to just trust because we do have all sorts of unanswered questions when we live life, right? There's, there's not always a nice, neat bow that gets tied on the ends of all of our stories. What we have to trust is that from God's track record, that he is a God that works towards redemption. And that is his ultimate goal for everyone, not just the King Davids, but also the Bathshebas and the Uriahs and even the unnamed son who died. That's God's ultimate goal. And he cares so deeply about them and he's going to lead them to that place. Well, and I think it's so important that God, every human being mm -hmm. is important to God, every single human being. And, you know, I think of... Um, you know, the story about the song of uh, Amazing Grace. Uh, who's the writer of the song? Um, New Newton, John Newton. Yeah, I, yeah. Could, I just went blank as soon as I wanted yeah. to say that name because it's so common. But remember, you know, he was in the slave trade. Yeah. And there was no question. There was a lot of human beings that God cared that were treated atrociously. Mm. And, you know, justice is going to have to be served for that, you know, but think of the song and how many people have been mm. restored or set on a path of restoration because of that song. And, and there's this, there's, there's a kind of a depth of complexity there that yeah. only God can handle yes. because God feels the pain of every single individual that suffered through those things and he will make that right mm -hmm. but he's trying to save as many people as possible because think of living a life in eternity where we all know people that their lives are turned around yeah. and they go on to live meaningful lives and make positive impacts on, on people think about eternity of every person no matter how evil they were if they could turn around and all they could good they could do for eternity, it's worth it. Yeah. But it's just so complex. I just would say it almost requires a supernatural yeah. heart and mind to cope with that. And yeah. fortunately, it's not our responsibility. Yeah, it's God's responsibility. <laughs>
Yeah. And I love that. The story of amazing grace, right? Um, that God uses this man who, who did so many destructive things. And yet after that turning point just changes, changes his outcome, but also the outcomes for so many people who have heard that song and have been blessed by this song. And the same thing with David. I mean, in Psalm chapter 51, that's the Psalm that's um, prayed or written. Um, it says in my Bible, um, a Psalm of David when Nathan, the prophet came to him after he had gone into Bathsheba, right? So this is, this is the Psalm of, um, of asking for forgiveness that David writes. And it is also just as beautiful, beautiful as that uh, amazing grace because, you know, he, he asks for forgiveness and then he asks for a clean heart, but he doesn't stop there. Like you said, he says in verse 13, then I will teach transgressor, transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. So he's saying, I'm willing to tell my story. And I can't imagine telling a story like this. Like if I did this, this is the last thing I'd want to share with anybody. And then he's willing to tell that story to highlight God's grace and the fact that people can be redeemed. Well, this is the equivalent of, you know, either one of us going in and we've written a song, we go on the sanctuary here and say, hey guys, now there's a lot of reasons, at least in my case, my writing the song, me singing the song, there's a whole bunch of other issues, but, but that's the equivalent of going in and say, Hey, by the way, Hey, I wrote this song. I want you all to hear yeah. and want to broadcast wherever yeah. it is. And, you know, by the way, this is what I did, you know? I know. And cause, cause these songs were sung yeah. year after year, you know, in a public setting. Yeah. But that's where, where it took David. It's like, listen, I, I wronged someone in private in a certain sense. Mm -hmm. But in this instance, given his position and the role, he realized, so obviously it was leaking out stuff, but he public owned it. And then he says, God, please, I recognize my dependence. I failed you. I need you. And now work, give me a clean heart. And may I be used to keep other people from doing a similar transgression. Yeah. And maybe that is the ultimate result of the clean heart that God gives us is the willingness to depend on God and trust God so completely that we're even able to trust God with our reputation and allow God to use that story of redemption to make something beautiful and something powerful. You know, the, um, in the, in the lesson, it talked about that, um, Japanese art of pottery that takes broken pottery pieces and makes new art with mm -hmm. that. I thought that was so beautiful. This idea that broken shards can make beautiful pottery once again. Um, and that's what God does with our lives. He takes the broken shards of our lives. If we let him, if we admit that we have brokenness and he crafts something beautiful again. Yeah. In fact, a couple of years ago, um, I was at Sundance, which is a big film festival. Um, and they're in Utah and one of the documentaries is a guy that does teapots. Uh, it's Kins Kinsugi. I didn't want to try. That's yeah, why I didn't yeah, say well, it. <laughs> I, I actually looked it up before we, yeah. we started to make sure I say it right. But, um, and I apologize. Um, but he was going around the country and teaching people how to do it. Yeah. And he shared a story, I believe it was in the documentary or in the interview with him, I don't remember, because mm. we were able to inter talk with him. Wow. But he, um, you remember the tsunami in Japan? Yeah. And so there were people bringing their teapots that had gotten destroyed in the tsunami. So think of the, the powerful metaphor, their houses, their lives destroyed. Yeah. And here was this broken piece and, and it, and there's kind of a, a sense that nothing is ever broken, mm. you know, or broken isn't bad. Mm -hmm. And they put together, create a new art piece. And, and maybe in some instances it was even stronger, but this powerful um, metaphor was, um, it, it is very moving. And he's going around and teaching people how to do it. Wow. That is so beautiful. Yeah. And that, that really is our God, right? With God, nothing is too broken to be redeemed. Right. Yeah. And there is a great cost. We've talked about the cost, uh, the consequences that come from sin and that if sin can be avoided, if these destructive things can be avoided, we should. But if we 
and it's inevitable for all of us if if that that moment comes know that god can bring beauty out of brokenness well yeah and i i, I say this a lot this is really important I, I think particularly in our Adventist culture and i'm sure there's other um denominations too that have but i there's a lot of things m- many of us the idea of well if i have just one sin and then i die or you know i'm not going to make it all these kind of things this really intense uh guilt and even in reading some of our own denominational literature, we're talking about that, you know, like Ellen White in, in referencing some of those things, right in this heart of that, if you come to Jesus and ask for forgiveness mm. and believe he forgives you, yeah, you have the robe of righteousness. Mm. And I think our struggle is we don't believe we're forgiven mm. or we don't believe we're worthy to be forgiven or we need to do something to be Mm. worthy. God is basically telling us, stop worrying about worthy. I died for you. I've communicated to you in a tangible way. You are valuable to me. (laughs) Trust me to be the author and finisher of your faith. Amen. Trust God. That seems to be the theme that's run through this. Rest comes from trusting God. Amen. Amen. (laughs) The cost of rest. Stu, will you close us out? Absolutely. Most gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for hanging in there with David and sharing that story. Help us to learn. Whoever is watching or hears this in whatever place they are, may that story speak to them and may they get a sense of your supernatural commitment to our redemption. Mm. And Lord, we ask for the gift of trusting in you regardless of our circumstances. Mm. And we look forward to your soon coming. We thank you, Lord, in your name. Amen. So friends, no matter what you've done or what you've gone through, remember, if you trust God, he can bring beauty out of brokenness. Have a wonderful Sabbath. Mm -hmm.